you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here for Move the Sticks. And Bucky, there are times uh, when we've been doing the pod over the last couple months where I'll be honest with you, we're, we're, we're on the phone trying to figure out what we're going to talk about. And sometimes it's a little bleak uh, coming up with <laughs> options. But thankfully, we've got something to talk about today. First of all, how you doing, man? Man, I'm great. I am great. Uh, you talk about having something to talk about. A blockbuster trade uh, that took place over the weekend. Jamal Adams going from New York to Seattle. Uh, I, I mean, just a, 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 I mean, a grocery basket full of picks going over uh, to the Jets and an all-pro player going to Seattle. And I think for the podcast, I think just doing a deep dive in this thing because I think it would reveal not only a lot about the trade game, but about centers of influence as an evaluator, uh, positional value, what it means where you are with your franchise, uh, whether you're chasing the ring or whether you're rebuilding. I think so many different issues can be touched on during this conversation, and I think we should just take our time and slowly unpack it. All right. Well, first of all, let's let's put the cards on the table, because I think this is why we're uniquely positioned to discuss this trade. The man who kind of who helped you get your start in, in your scouting career was who, Buck? John Snyder. 
And yep. John Snyder helped me get my start. We were both impacted and influenced by Ron Wolf. Ron Wolf, I played for the Green Bay Packers when he was there. Snyder was an assistant. Snyder goes to Kansas City, then to Seattle and hires me. So we're very influenced by the same people, and we may see the game in a similar fashion. But you and Joe D work together in Baltimore under Ozzie Newsom, and so you guys tend to see the game out of the same viewpoint and lens as well. Yeah, I feel like this is a, a case where we both – uh, grew up in a different school, right? You grew up in a different school, different curriculum, and kind of we learned under different guys and different philosophies. And I, I'll say this. I think if you look over the last 25 years in the National Football League, if you were going to say who were the most successful team builders and the most successful philosophies, I would. I think you would find it rooted in what's taken place with uh, the, the Ron Wolf tree, which you were a part of, mm-hmm. which John Schneider uh, has built this Seattle team through that lens. And I think you look at Ozzy and what he did with the Ravens and the way they've built it. So I, that's why I think, and again, I, I think people think it's a cop-out when we say this, and we're going to dig into this whole thing. But I can. I feel like it's one of those deals where if you told me right now, DJ, make the case for Seattle making this move. I can make the case for Seattle making this move. Boom, DJ, make the case why why uh, the Jets made this move. I can make the case for the Jets. I, I do think it's a win-win situation. And I, the first thing I want to get to is understanding where you are uh, in the process, in the building process. In my opinion, once you have the foundation built, and we talk about this with the draft all the mm-hmm. time in regards to, you know, if you take a running back in the first round, but you're not going to take a running back over a pass rusher or a quarterback if one's there. But once you have that foundation built, the rules change. And to me, I look at the Jets as a team without a foundation. The reason why they don't have a foundation is because of the previous regime where they invested draft picks and where they invested their money. When you look at investing money in running backs, linebackers, safeties, and not investing money, although Tremaine Johnson was bad money, but when you're not investing in the, the, the cornerbacks, edge rushers, and tackles, like those are the highest paid players for a reason, you know, when you look around the league, because there's premium there. I'm not against paying a safety. I'm not against making a bold move for a safety. The Seahawks can afford to do that because their foundation is already built for the most part. Yeah, and it's interesting that you talk about the foundation for the Jets, and we'll, we'll kind of lean on that. You're absolutely right. The previous regime didn't do Joe Douglas and Adam Gase any favors in terms of what they currently have on their roster. Um, when you think about just, just looking at their roster, DJ, I'm looking at the depth chart, and I'm trying to find the blue players. And if you and I talk about you need to have 12 yeah. blue players, 12 blue chip players at critical positions um, to be a championship team, you're hard-pressed to find one, maybe two blue chip players that you can say, look, universally, if we take these guys and put them anywhere else, they will be top five, top 10 players across the league. And so when you're Joe Douglas and you're looking at your roster and you have a safety in Jamal Adams, who may be your best defensive player, but you're not close to being a team that can field a contender, you make this move because you want more lottery tickets to go into the draft and get the marquee positions that you talked about. Offensive tackle, pass rusher, cornerback playmakers you have to have those things to seriously contend and compete and when you're the new york jets and we all want to subscribe to the draft and develop theory when five of your last top picks five of your last six top picks have been traded away or cut that is a damning indictment on your developmental process so as much as we can talk about putting the emphasis on joe douglas and who the Jets pick down the road, the onus is really on the coaching staff to take those players 
and to develop them to the potential that their draft status suggests they should be when it comes to contributing for the Jets. Yeah, and I mean, that's, look, they've had one, you know, this is Joe Douglas' first draft. You know, Adam Gase has been there for, for a year, so they're still at the beginning stages here of this new group. So, you know, I, I just look at it. Let's look at Jamal and, and what he brings and the value he brings because I'll be honest with you, Buck, when I was uh, you know, kind of made aware of what the compensation was going to be, what they were going to be able to get, even though it's it's a team you assume is going to be picking in the bottom of the first round as they have been, you know, for most of Pete Carroll's uh, tenure there. I was surprised they were able to get what they're able to get. I was surprised that it was that high. I would have thought you were talking about a one, a three, and a player was my guess. You know, a one, a three, and somebody that can come in and start. So you get two ones, a three, and a starter. Um, and obviously you send a fourth back in 2022 with Jamal. But I, I thought from a compensation standpoint, uh, I, I I just put myself in that situation with where my team is and with that compensation that's too. I mean, that that's that, that coffee's is is rich, you know. So I'm thinking they're going okay. I I can't pass this up. No, you can't pass it up. And so for Jets fans, um, they should look back at this trade as they looked back years ago at the Keyshawn Johnson trade. When Keyshawn Johnson was traded away to Tampa, I think he brought back two number ones. I think that was the time where they had four first round picks in the first round, and they were able to get John Abraham, Anthony Sean, Beck, yeah, Anthony that. Beck, Sean Ellis, um, yep. Chad Pennington, and look, yep. it set them up. Now. It didn't set them up where they were able to make a Super Bowl run, but they were a team that was highly competitive uh, with those guys kind of being the staple of their franchise. And so it makes sense. Now, the compensation that the Seattle Seahawks surrendered, people would say that's rich and that's pricey. But let me give you the Seattle Seahawks last three first round picks. Let me see. Let me see if it wows you. Here we go. LJ Collier, Rashad Penny and Jermaine Effetti. Just a guy. So. So if you can go back further than that, you can go back to Malik McDowell, who was the 35th pick. Um, I mean, you, you go down the line. It's not it's a trail of tears. Right. And so at some point you have to scout the scouts and no disrespect to my guys, John Snyder and those guys. But they haven't delivered blue chip players where they were picking at the bottom of the first round. And so if you're them and if you're able to get outside of yourself and cast your ego to the side when it comes to picking players, sometimes you have to look at what you've selected and then look at the proven commodity that you get in Jamal and say that he is a better player than we probably could pick, particularly based on our history. Let's take the bird in hand rather than the two in the bush and let's build around a player that we know, even though it is a more costly endeavor to do that from draft capital and from compensation down the line. Yeah, and see, I look at it from the standpoint of cheap starters. You know, that's that's the that's the way of the future. If you as many cheap starters as you can get, it allows you to spend big money in other areas to bring in a high price free agent. Maybe you won't get a Jamal Adams as a free agent, but you can get a, an A player, a blue chip player in free agency if you have the cash. So if if you're confident in your drafting ability, top three round picks should should emerge as starters. So you're looking at two ones and a three, that's three potential starters you can get on a low, low money deal, uh, low first round as well as is in the third round. So you get a chance to spread those resources around, try and build up the base of your roster. Um, I, I want to get, though, to the value of Jamal specifically, Buck. Hold because, on, hold on. One, one, thing, one thing before you do this, because I think you also should address the elephant in the room. Sam Darnold can, is eligible for an extension at the end of this year. And yep. so when Sam Darnold goes from being on a rookie deal to big money, it is even more important 
to have cheap starters that are, are on those those deals or whatever. So it's really important that we give perspective and context. He can sign a contract at the end of this year. And so when you're the Jets, you have to weigh the new money that will go to Sam Donald's direction. We have to make sure we have uh, a, a way to make sure that we can take care of that and also have starters before you go to J- Jamal Adams' value as well. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, Jamal Adams' value, when we have that discussion, Buck, this is because if you look at it on paper, well, I'll just pose you the question. I, I won't muddy it up. I want to get your thoughts on this. What, how much value do you have in a pass rushing safety? See, I, I have value, and my value is, is, is skewed. And my value is skewed because when I go back to a player, the team that I was on that eventually went to play a Super Bowl, the safety that we had, Leroy Butler, Leroy Butler was the first hybrid safety in the National Football League. Fitz Shermer dropped him in the box, and he blitzed to the tune of having six sacks. He had five interceptions. He was a key part of what we did defensively. So I value the safety position, particularly in the box, a little differently than than some and than most. And I also think because John Snyder was a pro personnel assistant during that time, he may see value in that position a little differently, particularly when you have Pete Carroll's defense that had Cam Chancellor that played a vital role. Generally, the safety isn't valued like that, but I still kind of have an old school mentality that you build all championship teams, basketball, baseball, football, you have to be strong down the middle. And so the safety is the core piece when it comes to being down the middle. How do you address the fact that he doesn't take the ball away? So like, so I think it's important. Like it's kind of like going to the ice cream shop. When you look at safeties, there are two different types. They're your ball hawks. And then they're your in-the-box playmakers. The ball hawks would be the guy that you're very familiar with having been in Baltimore in Ed Reed. Ed Reed is the, the star on the top of the Christmas tree. He plays deep middle. He is the guy that roams from numbers to numbers and makes a ton of plays. Jamal Adams would be like the guy who was the opposite of Ed Reed during Ed Reed's era, and that's Hall of Famer Troy Palomalo. Now, I'm not calling Jamal Adams a Hall of Famer yet, but I think there are some things. Troy Palomalu did his damage in and around the box. He was a guy that would make plays, create fumbles, sack the quarterback, and do things to that end. I think the scheme asks for different job descriptions, which is why we can't lump them all together. Yeah, and, and I would I would just challenge and push back on that. And you gave me a heads up on, on the Troy Palomalu thing, so I looked up Troy's numbers. Troy picked off five balls his second year in the league. Jamal's got two picks in three years. Troy Palmolo had years where he picked off seven balls, a couple years where he picked off seven balls. I just don't have any track record or any history of him getting his hands on the football in that regard. Whether you're playing in the post or whether you're playing down low, to me, I just look in the draft every year and I can find a lot more guys that can play closer to the line of scrimmage than I can find guys that can play in the post. To me, guys that can play in the post are more rare, and that to me is why those guys are going to get more money. For for my money, I, Jamal is a... He is a disruptor down there. Eddie Jackson plays in the post and gives me the football back. And to me, I'd rather have a guy that gives me the football back. I can find somebody I can scheme up and get on a running back. When I went and watched all his sacks, you know, he's a couple of them are clean, but the majority of them are him just beating running backs. I, I like my opportunity to try and find somebody I can scheme up with my defense to get him one-on-one with a running back. I like my chances of trying to find somebody to fill that role versus find somebody that can range over the top of the field and make a bunch of plays on the ball. See, and because we've been around each other so much, I knew that you would come with receipts <laughs> and facts. And so because of that, I made sure that I took my time last night and came back with numbers. And so yeah. Troy Palomalu, through his first years in the league, 
He had 237 tackles, seven interceptions, three forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, and six sacks. Jamal Adams, through that same time span, 273 tackles, 12 sacks, six forced fumbles, four fumble recoveries, and two interceptions. So when we look at the takeaway standpoint, they're pretty close. That's, oh, that's 12 turnovers, 12 turnovers. And so it's just a matter of how you you like your turnovers. To me, it doesn't matter. I think the value is his ability to be dynamic in the box, particularly in a defense that requires a dynamic box defender. Last year, the Seattle Seahawks could not play nickel defense because they didn't have the personnel to be able to do it. You see it each and every week with Derwin James. Derwin James' ability to be a chameleon, safety, linebacker, whatever you need, Seattle needed that part of it. So with Bobby Wagner and aging K.J. Wright, you need Jamal Adams to almost be a hybrid linebacker when they go nickel package. His value in, is being the Swiss Army Knights around the line of scrimmage. They needed a no, more explosive defender near the line of scrimmage instead of the Earl Thomas type that is playing in the back end. As you said, that person you need, you need someone that can take it away. That's not Jamal. That's not what he does. What he does is near the line of scrimmage, which is why it really works for the Seattle Seahawks, in my opinion. And I've heard this argument. You brought up great points there on the numbers. I've heard this argument. Well, in Greg Williams' defense, you have to have a, a premier safety. He's always had – his safeties have always posted good numbers. And I'm sitting here going, okay, there's two ways of looking at that. His, he's always had great safety or his, his safeties have always posted good numbers. I, mean, I go back to Blaine Bishop, uh, go back with Greg Williams when he was in Tennessee – he, he's going to scheme up matchups that are going to be favorable as guys down in the box as rushers. It's going to happen. Now, instead of maybe getting six sacks, maybe maybe McDougal gets you know three sacks, four sacks. Um, but he's he plays the ball as good or better than Jamal. And I'm adding all these other resources. I just I think that whole discussion of you know how do we how do we move forward. I don't. It's a drop off at the position for the Jets, but to me, it's not significant enough to pass on all the other assets you're going to accumulate here to try and build up your roster. I, I thought this whole trade situation was like, what do they call those things? The little paddles they put on you when you're about to when they're trying to revive you. Uh, oh gosh, like they're resuscitate you, so they put the little paddles on you. Shock <laughs> I know, yeah, I know what you're that, talking about. That, that's what this was for the Jets to me. This was a this was a, a franchise that needed to be resuscitated, and I think this trade is exactly what they needed to be able to get that done. Look, man, there, there's there's no question that that Greg Williams can do a good job of scheming it up, and there's no doubt that Bradley McDougal played very very well for the Seattle Seahawks. He's also a guy that has bounced around. He's a longtime veteran. He has ten career interceptions. And I think he can play solid. And I think if that is what you want in the position at the time for a stopgap, I certainly think he can be that. He's not an all-pro caliber player. He is someone that can do it. And I don't necessarily expect them to use him in that role um, that Jamal Adams is is vacating. I think they can put. Marcus May down there. I think Marcus May, if you go all the way back to his film at Florida, Marcus May did some things in the box. Also, I think it's important to know that they have Ashton Davis coming in from Cal. So they have a variety of guys that they can put in the mix. And I think what they'll do during training camp, I think they will experiment with a handful of packages to see who are the best guys that can occupy certain roles? What are the skill sets that they have? And the Jets' defense may very well look different than it looked with Jamal Adams. And Greg Williams will have to make this adjustment on the fly. But look, he's done it before. He made Darren Sharper, who I played with in Green Bay, who wasn't a box guy. 
He made Darren Sharper a very vital part of that defense as a guy that could rock and roll and drop down. And so give credit where credit is due. Greg Williams is a masterful schemer and tactician. He'll find a way to get it done. So to me, on the Seattle side of the things, the, the, the whole key to this is were they close enough? I, I guess you, with your track background, Bucky, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. You, you're, you're say you're running the the uh, the 800, the 400, 800, whatever, a little bit more, a little bit more distance. You you have to know when to when to kick. You do not want to kick too early and poop out, you know. So my question is, are the Seahawks close enough to the finish line? Because this was a kick. I mean, this was their kick. This trade was putting a lot of resources to try and get you to the finish line. Now, when we look at the recent trades. The Rams came up just short, right? And then they doubled down, really, mm-hmm. in, in, uh, with, with Jalen Ramsey. Now it's like, gosh, I don't know. Maybe they – I don't know. Do they want to do over on that? I, I don't know. This is a lot of money and a lot of resources in a team that now I think we would agree. You look at them right now. I don't think they're a Super Bowl-caliber team right now with the Rams, with the other holes that they have on their roster. The Bears had a nice run initially, right, that first year with Khalil Mack. Um, got in the postseason, had a great year, and then they got bounced in the postseason. But then now you start feeling the effect of missing some of those cheap resources that you had via dra- via the draft to be able to fill in the rest of your roster. So are the Bears, you know, was that the right window for them to make that, you know, bold move? And then we saw Houston with Tunsil making the trade with two ones. They To me, that one's almost a little different because I felt like they had to do something to, to help their quarterback survive. He was just getting pummeled. Um, but they've had success, but they haven't been able to get to the, to the Super Bowl. So to me, it's a timing thing. So I, that's my question. Do you think Seattle, this was the right time to make the kick? I think so, because I think if you're Seattle's vantage point, you're an inch away from supplanting the San Francisco 49ers as the NFC yep. West champions. That changes uh, the narrative when it comes to home field in the playoffs. Their home field advantage in most instances is significant. Um, and so I think that's why you do it. I think also when you're Pete Carroll and you're evaluating your baby, which is the defense, the defense didn't play well. They haven't been able to rush the passer. They haven't been able to kind of impose their will on opponents the way that they would like to do. Also, the quarterbacks that are in this division, you talk about Kyler Murray coming, a dynamic dual threat quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo's ability to not only hand the ball off to a, a variety of running backs that you have to account for, but George Kittle roaming over the middle of the field. Cam Chancellor used to prevent people from going over the middle of the field. They needed an enforcer, so they're hoping that Jamal Adams can play that role. And so when when I look at the Seattle Seahawks, I think they're going to be what they've always been. This is a team that they're going to try and run the football early in the game. They're going to try and lean on their defense. And if all else fails, they're going to say, let Russ cook. And so that's just how they play. It's been successful for Pete. Um, and I think that's that's what they're going to do. And so... You know, that Super Bowl window is weird. However, because of the simplicity of their defense and the weird way that this pandemic has created the offseason, I think they're saying, you know what? Much like your Padres feel, hey, we got a chance. We can do it. That's what they're doing. Because I know you were celebrating this weekend winning the series. So so it's, it's the same deal. We blew, one, we blew one yesterday, but I, I felt better watching the Dodgers of course uh, split with the with the Giants last night. It's so ridiculous. hopefully we still ha- hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, they're still playing baseball. By the way, <laughs> good night. Um, anyways, uh, the other thing I, I think you you touched on it being able to um, 
the Seahawks with Schneider being able to hit on guys outside the first round, and they have a long history. Obviously, everybody knows about Richard Sherman, and you, you look at Bobby Wagner, obviously Russell Wilson, uh, DK Metcalf, all these guys outside the first round lock it. All their best players are found outside the first round for the most part. So um, they're going to need to continue to do that. They're going to have a little more pressure on them. You know, we talk about the pressure of the Jets hitting on their early picks. Now there's more pressure on the Seahawks to hit their later picks. Um, and when you look at the Jets, to me, I, I, I tweeted this out the other day, when you think about Joe Douglas spending the majority of his career in Baltimore, mm-hmm. where they're always picking in the 20s. And we had a lot of success finding really good players picking in the 20s. If it was Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Todd Heap, um, Jimmy Smith. I mean, even since Joe's left, I mean, the reigning MVP, for crying out loud, was a 32nd pick by the, by the Baltimore Ravens. So there's confidence there. And I think, that, I think this trade speaks to the confidence the Seahawks have in finding players outside the first round. And I think it speaks to the confidence of the Jets knowing, hey, we're going to get really good players in the 20s. I, that to me, that was the only thing that bothered me, I guess, for the, some of the reaction, Buck. And you, you, you've said this in, in, uh, in a more intelligent way than some of the stuff that I saw on Twitter. But there was the thought of, you're, I mean, you're never going to find good players in the, in the 20s. And it's like, no, no, it's not a guarantee. It's for sure. It's not a guarantee. It's easier to find great players in the top 10. I agree with that. But people act like picking 26th is Siberia, that you got no shot of finding good players. If you've got a good personnel department, you can find really good players in the 20s. Yeah, I think what this is, I think this is the confidence of both uh, decision makers, what they have in their own ability. is Joe Douglas's ability, um, his confidence in, look, I believe that we can find players in the 20s because he was with an organization and with personnel people that were able to find people in the 20s. John Snyder's boldness when it comes to making trades and making moves is because he was with a general manager who made bold moves and those moves paid off. And I think, look, we are all... Like, it's funny because we're having this conversation because I thought about it when we were going back and forth. I was like, man, you know why we may see this from different lenses? It's because we grew up in different systems. And as you talked yep. about schools and curriculums, yeah. we have different <laughs> curriculums that, we, that we, we learned under. And so that's why we can feel strongly about uh, both sides of it. But I think it, it's, it's very possible that this could be a win-win situation. And I know people like to grade trades immediately after and say there's a winner and a loser. Maybe, maybe they're two winners because if the Seattle Seahawks win quickly within the next two to three years, it's well worth it. If Joe Douglas finds the foundational pieces that get the Jets to being a high level competitive team year after year, then that's a win. And so it's very well possible. I think what also may have helped push it over the top for the Seattle Seahawks is looking at the Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs looking at the impact that Tyron Matthew made for their defense. That was a defense that had a tough time stopping people. Tyron Matthew kind of steadied the ship, his leadership ability, his versatility, his presence on the second level. And so when you're trying to go for it all, sometimes you you swing and look, and you can't be afraid to miss. And I think for both guys, that's what this is. Man, you got to step to the plate sometimes. You got to take big cuts if you want to win games. And so – the Seattle Seahawks took a big cut, just like Joe D took a big cut by saying, I'm going to take all these picks and I'm going to find a way to get it right. And and here's the thing. I, I think Joe D, and have talked to him a bunch about this, the, the interesting thing is the Jets are not always going to be in sell mode. There's going to be a time where they're going to make a trade like 
on the Seattle side of this trade. There's going to be a time once they've you know hopefully hit on some of these picks and built a foundation that all of a sudden you know a Khalil Mack type player comes available. You know what that they'll make that bold move once they feel like it's time for them to kick. You know once it's time for them mm-hmm. to kick uh, to finish the race, they can see the tape and it's time to really sprint. Um, they're not there right now, and I think that's that's what's the great part about this trade. It's kind of we're finishing where we began, and that you look at where Seattle is. Makes sense. Be bold. Pete Carroll's 69 years old, I believe. I think he's the oldest head coach in the National Football League. Mm-hmm. Russ is right in his prime. I'd say Russ, you know, Russ can play in his 40s, but I would say in terms of like peak, peak prime years with the way that he plays, probably another four years, four or five years of, of just, you know, MVP level Russell Wilson. So you get Pete, who's, who's 68 right now. He'll be 69 in, in September. But with where they are, uh, with the head coach, with the quarterback and the, and the roster, Go for it. I, I, I like it. I like being bold and being aggressive. And I just think for the Jets fans out there that feel like you're always on the, the giving side of these trades, eventually, you know, Lord willing, cross your fingers, you're going to get to the point where you have a team in the place where Seattle is. And then at that point in time, I think you'll see a bold move going the other way. Yeah, and that's the thing, man. You talk about trusting the process. You have to trust the process when it comes to that because it is a slower climb when you're trying to do it the right way, which is what I think Joe D is trying to do by drafting, developing the players, re-signing the established players that are good for you and finding a way to win with that core. And I think for Seattle, uh, you brought up being in their prime. The one thing that was missing, when you looked at their defense, it's they don't have an edge one, rusher. And it's only one blue chip player on their defense, and that's Bobby Wagner. Who are the other yeah. blues? Well, I think, the, I think I think the corner. I, I think Griffin is a, is a good player. Yeah, I think he's an emerging player. I I don't know if he's a star yet, though. I don't I don't know if we can call him a star, but they need. He's right on. He's star. right on the verge, Buck. I think he's right on the blue on on the verge of being a blue. Like yeah. he's right. He's he's really good. Yeah. So they, they they have to have those things. If you go back and look at their recipe for success, what they had, uh, the Legion of Boom, the LOB was outstanding. Uh, it was Earl. It was Cam. It was Sherm. Uh, Bobby Magner played at a high level. Michael Bennett gave them pass rush ability. They have to retool and reset and get some of those things. Now, the pressure also falls to them. LJ Collier has to play because they invested top picks. Some of the guys that they drafted high have to play. Jordan Brooks has to come in and be an immediate uh, kickstarter. He has to play. And so we'll see if all those things can happen. There's risk involved in all of it. But uh, I think they're saying we we needed to start to try and get a little closer to what the San Francisco 49ers have been able to do. Yeah, and I, I, I interesting thing, we've talked about this before as well. At NFC West, I mean, how fun is that going to be? I mean, it is the best division in football. It got better now when you add Jamal Adams into the mix there. But, man, it's going to be – that might be a division where we have a 10-6 and six winner because they're going to beat up on each other. Absolutely, because I think all the teams are good. I think uh, Arizona is kind of the wild card because we're, we're expecting that offense to be good. But, man – the Rams can bounce back, and, and I like what I'm hearing from Sean McVay talking about he, he's going to get back to the running back by committee, running the football a little more balanced. That was really the secret sauce for the Rams winning uh, a couple years ago. They have to get back to that. The 49ers we expect to be good after they shake off the Super Bowl hangover. And now with the Seahawks, I mean, this is a tough division. It's going to be one. I think 11 will get you the, the, the title, but very well we could see a 10-win 10, 10 team win it. Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be fun to watch. And then the, to me, it's the challenge to who can rebuild the fastest in the, uh, in the AFC East. The, the Dolphins, with their trade of Tunsil, collected those assets. Now they've got their quarterback in Tua Tonga-Vailoa. They've got, they hope, his replacement in Austin Jackson at left tackle. 
So they've got some, you know, they've had some picks. They still have some more coming up next year. Uh, but they are trying to rebuild that entire roster, and I think they got the right coach there in Brian Flores, who I think is a total stud. Our buddy Chris Greer is is really good. So they're kind of on that rebuild. Buffalo's more established with where they are right now. Um, New England is kind of a wait and see. We don't know what that's going to look like now with, with Stidham and Cam Newton and how that whole thing works out. The defense is still very good. Um, but to me, I, I think the competition, really you have kind of New England and Buffalo, to me, kind of fighting it out for the division. And then you have the race to see who can use their assets to rebuild the fastest uh, when you look at the Dolphins and the Jets. So that's a it's a fascinating division that could set itself up because of all the resources that we see there now. Mm-hmm. And with the emergence of young quarterbacks. And again, New England is the we'll, we'll see what happens there. But you've got Josh Allen's young, Sam Darnold's young, Tua's young. Um, that has a chance if we fast forward, it could kind of they could be where the NFC West was, you know, and then the NFC West was kind of a doormat. Then all of a sudden they emerged. That could be kind of a the sleeper there in the, in the AFC East. Yeah, very well it could be because you talked about the resources and the rebuilding that has to take place in Miami and in New York, respectively. I think this is another thing with the Patriots. The Patriots benefit from the fact that so many teams are in rebuild mode in their division. And even though they are, there's something about being a team that is kind of lorded over that division. They know how to win, man. To dev- and so to think that they know how to win and because everyone has anointed Buffalo, you know, DJ, there's a different level of pressure when you're kind of the hunted when everyone is kind of using you as the litmus test to see are we good enough to compete and the buffalo bills have to get used to having that pressure where the new england patriots kind of fall into underdog mode which is a position that is unfamiliar to them even though they know how to win the division because they won it each and every year yeah to me i think that's uh i'm not sleeping on the patriots man like if you told me we had to pick today i'd pick them to win the division I'm, I I'm, I'm, I'm picking them because yeah. they, they will not beat themselves. He does a, Bill Belichick does a great job of taking the product and putting the product in the best position to win each and every week, and you have to beat them. And I think that is the challenge for most teams. You wilt under the pressure of having to play not flawless but pretty flawless to beat them. That makes it very, very tough. To, it, it makes them a very difficult team to beat. No doubt. Um, well, this was fun, man. I feel like we kind of took a half hour here and just kind of attacked that trade from from every angle possible. Is there any, anything else you want to add before we wrap up today, Buck? No, I think that was good. I think that's the best way to do it is slowly unpack. Sometimes, you know, you can't eat your food too fast. You got to take your time and let it digest. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, the funny thing is, I, I think if you talk to John Schneider, as you do all the time, and you ask John Schneider if he was with the Jets, would he have made that trade? He would say yes. Absolutely. If you ask, if you ask Joe Douglas if, if he was with the Seahawks, would he have made that trade? Probably would have said the same thing. So that to me is when you have a fun football trade. No, I think it was a great football trade. I think it was definitely beneficial for both teams, and it'll be fun to see what both teams do with their new assets. All right, no doubt. Well, that was fun, man. Uh, appreciate you guys checking us out, listening to us. I do want to encourage everybody, if you've made it through this far of the podcast, then hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, do us a solid. We, we were trying to get some more rankings and reviews on Apple uh, iTunes, or I always say iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Um, so again, you can leave, if you leave us a review on there, we'd greatly appreciate it. Drop some questions on there. We do our best to try and answer those periodically as well. Um, so we appreciate it if you did that for us, but, uh, that's going to do it for us today. Just thank you guys so much for, for being with us. And, and hopefully, uh, we have football soon. Uh, that's the hope. So we'll see you next time right here on move the sticks.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.